This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. We have got a treat for you today. Number one, Kyle is in Asheville, North Carolina, golfing with Chris DeMarco. So I brought in somebody that is a formidable replacement and may take his job. Season one winner of the protege, Mr. Derek Hayden. And with his male model looks and his anchorman hair, we have got Christian Delosier from the great state of Kansas. And I am welcoming you to the Power Producers podcast sponsored by Paul Mitchell. What's up, fellas? How we doing? I'm good, I'm actually, man. I'm, I'm actually Missouri, David. I thought you were in Kansas, man. Missouri. Kansas City, we're but you're on the Missouri side. We're close. Kansas City, it gets it gets uh, confused a lot. But yeah, we're on the Missouri side. I'm like, an but hour if you're on the Missouri long. side, you're never confused because you're territorial about that. I could tell by how quick you came out of the box to correct me on it. So my bad, man. <laughs> From the great state of Missouri, the Show Me State. That's Mr. right, Christian Delezer. That is right. Cool deal, man. So, what's going on, fellas? Just not a whole lot. I'm I'm pumped to be the uh, the uh, guest host here. So, we'll see how this goes. Well, I'm going to need you, man. I'm going to need you to carry some of this conversation because I, you know, I ask the same questions every time. You're fresh meat, so Perfect. you can you can come I'll, out I'll with whatever the same questions you do. Then <laughs> I'll, I'll, have, I'll have to admit, I was a little bit like I'm super pumped to see you, Derek. I was really looking forward to seeing the beard that I hear about all the time because I have not <laughs> ever met Kyle in real life. So I was I'm just well, I mean, imagining this thing with like I don't know creatures living in it or something. The way you talk about it, if anybody wants to see what Kyle looks like, looks like just go to Google and type in skunk ape, and you will <laughs> see exactly what it is. That is the Florida Everglades version of the Sasquatch. Oh, poor Kyle's not here to defend we, himself. Oh no, he hears about. Look, dude, if I read you my text threads of him from the weekend after he's a few old fashions into his evening, I'm called a skunk ape religiously at least three to five times every single weekend. So. That's sort of our inside joke back and forth. We actually have Florida Risk Partners shirts made that say, Fear the Skunk Ape. And it's a picture of a skunk ape like walking through with the background being the blue and the gold. It's pretty cool. Well, I can limited, imagine. Limited edition. Yeah, I imagine you guys walking into like a renewal and wearing that shirt and taking home a you know check for 25 grand <laughs> in commission. Yeah. Yeah. Why not, I, man? 
I can't wait to meet him in, in person. I've, I've heard him a lot. We, we are who we yeah. are. Dude, if you come down to the boot camp, man, then you can meet him because he's going to be at the reception, you know, that night. I will say, you know, he can't be at IAOA because you, know, you got to be an owner to be there, and he hadn't hit that equity number yet. So maybe that'll be good, you know, a good uh, opportunity for him to ramp up his game a little bit when he sees how much fun the rest of us are having. I don't know. You just called him out. He's probably going to – I know the last time call- you called – I know the last time you called somebody out that I know, it got real, like stuff got real when we were at dinner. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, dude, and now I just call you out for no reason. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. The other day, that was funny. I'm, I'm listening to Sedlak, his first episode, and I got a call out for no reason. I felt special. You get a call out and all four episodes we did with Sedlak. Oh, like, that was our gosh. thing. We had to do the random Delosier call out. Well, in Shop Talk Drops so before- today, right? Yeah, it's, it's today. today. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's dropped. So, talk a little bit, Christian, before we get ramped up in, in the questioning and all of that, and interrogate you. Um, talk a little bit about your background and how you got to where you're at, and some of what you're doing right now at your agency. Well, I started in the business at four years old because, like yourself, I'm an SOB, son of the boss, and my my mom married Mike Keith when I was four years old. So I've got 41 years of experience in the business, kind of. I've just been around it forever. And I've had the best mentor you could ever ask for. I mean, that guy, he worked, and it was just grit, hard work, perseverance. I mean, he worked seven days a week, no joke, building this company to what it is today. When he started, there were three people. We now have 55 employees And I can remember it was Monday through Friday, getting home late, Saturday, half a day, Sunday, we'd go to church, come home, eat lunch, and he'd go to the shop. He'd go back to, not the shop, that's what we call it. He'd go back uh, to the office and work, and that's how he built it. So I've Manufacturing insurance policies in the shop. 100%, man. He is a machine, and I've had the best mentor I could ever ask for. So, yeah, I've got a rich history. Went to school at UCM. I uh, got a business degree because I couldn't decide what else I wanted to do like many other people that I've heard about. I didn't quite take eight years, but wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> I, listen, I embraced the college experience. You know, Van Wilder was actually based loosely off of my college career. <laughs> if I could do it again, I would take your approach, David, for sure. So got out after, in 1998, came home and was immediately put into data entry and literally falling asleep at the computer doing data entry and realized that it wasn't time for me to come back to the firm. So I had an opportunity to leave and I had a a career opportunity that let me travel around a bit and I got to go to some different countries and see some different cultures. And after two years of living out of a suitcase in a hotel room, I decided it was time to come back home and roll my shirt sleeves up and that was in 2002. So I'm approaching 20 years in the business and it's the best business you can imagine. I mean, I can't imagine doing anything else. Now, I think it's interesting because we all say that because we're on this side of the fence, but the people on the other side of the fence have no clue how good it really is. They really don't. Not until we have an opportunity to sit down with them. And, you know, if I get passionate about something, uh, I can be a pretty persuasive salesperson. So if you get me wound up and get me in front of a potential producer or an account manager, there's not very many industries where we can make such an impact on people's lives and you know usually come in after something bad's happened and we can bring in 
buckets of money with our red cape on and put things back to back to where it was. When I when I came back to the firm in 2002, it was one of my ideas. You know, the insurance agents, insurance industry has a bad rap. You know, we're down there with. I'm not going to name them. We all know who the other names are, but they're at the bottom of the ocean. I just had to deal with them. Yeah, I just had to deal with them when I bought my new truck. There's a group that we're tied to. And they're at the bottom of the ocean, right above or below whale crap, somewhere in there. And when I got into the industry, I thought, you know what? I'm going to make it my goal to change the perception of the insurance industry and insurance agents one client at a time. And I have successfully done that, changed the perception. And, you know, when people have that, you can see the light bulb come on. Wow, no one's ever told me that. Wow, no one's ever spent that much time with me. Or, wow, we've never had service like this before. It's, it's rewarding. So when you set out to make that your goal to, to change the perception of the industry, what were some things that you had in mind of how you were going to do that when you first started? Just care more and work more, work harder than anybody else, work on designations, become a, an insurance nerd, and not allow either commission or incentives. You know, if all things are equal, everything is absolutely equal, that might come into play, but rarely is that ever the case where everything is absolutely equal. And we keep the client's needs ahead of our own. And I know that if we always keep our client's needs ahead of our own, they will always take care of us. I heard Gary Vaynerchuk say one time, doing the right thing is always the right thing. That is one of my fundamental beliefs. Doing the right thing is always the right thing. And I sleep really well at night doing it, doing that way. Yeah, well, guess what? Doing the right thing sometimes is firing a problem client too, though, isn't it? Right? I would agree. You know, I mean, that's, that's the other way you look at it. So... It's not like you do it. Do the, doing the right thing is always the right thing is not the same thing as saying the customer is always right. Because I don't believe that the customer is always right. After spending 10 years in retail, I can assure you the customer is not always right. And you have to grin and bear it because that's what your employer tells you. But one of the cool parts about having the agency at this point is we can pick and choose who we work with. And I don't say that in an arrogant way, but you know, I think part of the problem is we we put so much production pressure on ourselves and our producers that we just want them to write business no matter what it is. We we need you to bring business in and we don't stop to think about the fact that you know what this really isn't what we're good at. This isn't what we want to be writing and that's why I always use the analogy of looking at the boardroom table with the empty chair. You know, is this does this person deserve that seat at the table or if I bring that person in is it going to diminish the value that we bring to everybody who's already seated at the table? And if the answer to that is yeah, it is going to diminish the value, we don't go any further with them. And I think that that's a huge a huge thing that is difficult to do. It's easy to say, but it's difficult to do. But mm -hmm. once you do, man, it is so liberating to know that you're literally only dealing with the cream of the crop that you selected and nothing other than that. And there's plenty of good business out there that we don't represent in our agency right now. I can tell you right now, there's way more great accounts in Tampa and the surrounding areas that we don't write than the ones that we do. But those are all people that I'll continue to prospect and I'm not going to waste my time on stuff that doesn't fit, you know, what our mission is and what our values are, period. So sometimes that is the right thing. So a question for both of you then, uh, it's a good topic for new producers that are out there just make, trying to make sure that they have a paycheck coming in. How do you guys train your new producers to stay within that focus of 
the clientele we want to work with. Cause I know that was an issue for me. You know, I had to pay rent and I had to get money on the table. So what are some things that you guys recommend to, to, cause at this point in my career, I'm working on what I want to work on, but I'm still getting calls from some of those people. I, I wrote my first one or two years in the business and it's like, why, why did I even cater to those people and how do I get rid of them? It, it's a challenge. Yeah, I mean, from I'll let Christian answer yeah. first and then I'll jump in. It's a challenge and we're still trying to figure that out ourselves. You know, when you dropped that ideology about only allowing the best of the best to sit at the table and compliment the book of business that you've built, that really resonated with me and it stuck with me. And I think about it. Every new business, every new client, we have the opportunity of bringing on board. But I, like you two gentlemen, am at a different place in my career. I'm not starting out brand new where I feel like I'm starving to death and I have to write every single thing that comes or falls into my lap or falls through the front door. And it's just changing that mindset. So we're working through it ourselves. We don't have all the answers yet. So I'm going to defer to David and let him share how he talks to his new producers. Well, I mean, it's real simple. We just don't pay him commission on the stuff we don't want to write. So they're incented to never go after it. And specifically on the stuff that's the lower end of the spectrum, right? I think that, you know, we, it, it's it, it's difficult because as an agency principal, you don't want to be in a position where you draw a hard line in the sand and say, you can never do this, never do that. I think that in a bunch of cases that there are cases to be made for business that maybe doesn't fit inside of exactly what your box is. And I want my producers to come to me with those things and tell me why we should entertain it. And I'll listen to it with a really open mind. I mean, there are times that I will say, you know what, this is a good account. We should go after it or whatever else. But really for me, you know, we're generalists in the sense that if your mod is a one or higher, I'll talk to you. I don't care what your industry is. So that's sort of the the safety valve that I've given them. It For me, it's not necessarily class of business more than it is just size. And I don't want them going out, going after small accounts. Why are we tripping over $100 bills to get to singles? Mm-hmm. You know, you're going out, you're writing four or five bops, you're beating your chest like you just set the production record for the United States of America in 2021. Meanwhile, you just cost your agency money because by the time they pay you, pay the people that have to administer those policies and then the taxes on the income, they're probably upside down on what you wrote. So I don't want that. I don't want any of that in my business at all. And that's one of the reasons why you know, we'd have made the decision that anything below a certain threshold, we're just flipping over to cover wallet and letting them handle it because I don't want to have to deal with it. And this is not a, you know, a paid advertisement for them at all. I don't receive a dime from cover wallet to recommend them. Um, but that's what we decided to do. And it's been a huge savings for us. I mean, it's awesome for me because I get the reports of what we have turned into them. And I can see that my guys are actually going in and sending the link to people. and They're going in, originating their own quotes and they're paying to, to bind them and have them issued. And we're not having to touch that stuff. So, you know, my producers aren't touching it. It's more like they're just referring the business. And maybe if I figure out a way to track it or something, I'll be able to give them some level of incentive. But we don't have agency uh, expenses draining the revenue from those accounts. But if they were to come in and try and write those, I would immediately tell them they had to flip them to the small business unit, right? Because we do have have a person that does nothing but small business, but it's typically call-ins or, you know, just one-off stuff and handle service work in the meantime. But, you know, that's the, that's the best way for me, in my opinion. 
So human nature, you know, we all want that little dopamine rush. And when we do something that we feel like is productive, we make a sale, even if it's a small sale, we get that dopamine rush. And when you've got a, a guy or gal that's out writing lots of small bop business, they feel, and you mentioned this in one of your most recent podcasts with another guest, they feel like they're really being successful. It feels good because you're out doing all this activity. I guess what we need to do is figure out how to reward activities that are going to lead to more profitable business and reward them when they drag in that new lead or when they drag in um, the prospect or they have the prospect meeting and it goes well and we feel like we're moving the needle forward on more profitable business and maybe not incentivize them so much on the small commercial side. So that they're still getting that dopamine rush, but it's coming, it's doing something that's productive for all of us. I don't know of a bigger dopamine rush though than knowing you just closed an account that's going to pay you like twenty five or fifty thousand, right? Exactly. Like that, you, there is no, there's no creative motivation needed to create dopamine in that event. <laughs> I mean, I just, I think that's the thing, man. And again, here's the problem. I know that a lot of agency principals aren't going to agree with me, and I'm perfectly fine with that. But we're we're worried about production, right? That's the number one thing. You got to hit your numbers. You got to hit your numbers. You got to hit your numbers. What is that breeding? That's breeding them to just go out and write as much as they can. Why aren't we rewarding the behaviors, right? Why aren't we rewarding the person that for six weeks straight has hit 100 telemarketing calls and 30 marketing drops? Mm -hmm. 130 items of action. How about that? Mm -hmm. Almost like somebody's getting ready to come from. Yeah, almost like somebody's releasing a book about it. (laughs) But think about it, man. If for six weeks, or in that case, six months, 130 working days, if somebody can follow a set course of behaviors that are proven to lead to the production that you want, why aren't we rewarding that? Because the behavior is what predicts what's going to happen on the production side. And if all we do is we tell people go out, produce, 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 produce. And next thing you know, you're getting like bops for candle shops and dry cleaners and all kinds of small business that you don't want. It's really not the fault of the producer, in my opinion, because we've put that pressure on them and they're validating uh, forward progress in their mind because they are bringing new business in. The conversation that I have is really, and I'm not going to say talk about the story this time because I've done it two or three times, but it's is the agency principal looking at the behaviors and have number one, let me just rewind a second, having the ability to track those behaviors, right? So it's one thing to say, I want you to do 100 telemarketing calls and 30 drops every week and you know, come back and let me know that it's done. It's a completely different thing for you to have a CRM like we have in our agency where they're required to go in and put the date that the drop happened or to use Lightspeed Voice as our VoIP system that integrates with HubSpot and automatically records those calls and attaches them to the contact record so that I can go in, which I will do this afternoon like I do every Friday and listen to those calls for an hour. But I can go in and I can see drops have been made because I I've got record of that in the CRM. Emails have been fired out to the people that we dropped on. Phone calls have been made. I can see that inside of the call report of my CRM. And then I can go in and listen to those calls so I can either coach on things that they can do to get better or congratulate on those things that they did well. And you're going to you're gonna continue to breed the replication of that behavior. This is what I know. If you just have the behaviors and you commit to having the behaviors and you do those every single day when you come in, just like you're supposed to do, you're going to write business. You cannot help but write business. You can be the crappiest door opener on the face of the earth, but if you hit the numbers, somebody's going to feel sorry for you and let you in. 
mm-hmm. and you're going to end up writing business. That's just how it happens. The problem, it is never a problem with quality of accounts. It's never a problem with average revenue size. It's a problem with the volume of the behavior that the producers has that leads to production activity that leads to them not having production activity, right? That you either have the behavior or you don't. If you're sitting back saying, well, I think that I'm going to have a quarter million dollar revenue uh, premium account, call me this week. It's not going to happen. But if you're going out and calling on 30 quarter million dollar accounts and telephoning a hundred $30 million or what quarter million dollar accounts, what are you going to write? Quarter million dollar accounts. If all I ever prospect is accounts between 25,000 and 50,000 in agency revenue, mathematically speaking, there's a 100% chance I'm only going to write accounts that are 25,000 to 50,000 in revenue. Why do we have a bunch of other crap in our pipeline? Preach. Determine what you're going to go after, build your pipeline around it, and stay in your lane, man. That's all you got to do, people. Come on, quit trying to be creative. Nobody wants your pet insurance. Christian, I think we hit a nerve with David. That was a pretty good rant right there. And and this is the spot where, and David, you knew that I was not going to be able to go through this without making a reference to Scott Howe. So this is the part. Let's go. This is the part where Scott Howe is going to say, you all need to rewind about three or four times, hit the rewind button, listen to David's riff again, and write this stuff down. Like that was gold. And if you went, if you fell asleep while you were, hopefully you didn't fall asleep while you're driving. <laughs> but if you <laughs> if you nodded off, if you had a Clark Griswold moment while you were while you're listening to this podcast, you better just pull over to the side of the road, stop right now, hit rewind like four times, and listen to that again, and then go back and implement in your agency. Yep. Yep. Also, in the famous words of Scott Howell, he just brought the hay down where the goats could get to it. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> We've been chewing some of the same dirt. <laughs> I can go all day on my boy Scotty Too Hotty. You know, he had a oh, social it. media I hiatus. I love his one. Yeah, he had a social media hiatus for the month of September. So I'm actually happy to have him back in the fold today. There you go. He was unplugged completely. So he wasn't in any of our private threads. I actually sent him a text like two weeks ago, and all it said was, I miss your musk. And that was it. (laughs) He called me out on on an insurance guy's podcast not too long ago. I'm still waiting for a call from you, Scott. Get a hold of me, man. Yeah, no, you'll get it too, man, because he said he wants the whole thing. He doesn't just want a piece of Derek Hayden. He wants the whole thing. Thinking about Scott, thinking about Scott, I was registering some domains so I'm sure everybody gets sick of hearing niches to riches and all that good stuff. But let me just tell you, if you got sales problems, I feel bad for you, son. I got 99 problems and a niche ain't one. <laughs> Who's that from? There you go. Come on now. What are you talking about, Jay-Z? I mean, Heck I don't know yeah. who said that, but well, do I don't know who said that in the insurance industry. I don't know who said it in the insurance industry, but I know that's like a play on Jay-Z, right? It's a play on Jay-Z for sure. And I would yeah. love to take credit for that, but that came out of an emerging leaders. Three years ago, we were talking about niche programs and someone got up and said, I got 99 problems and the niche ain't one. <laughs> and it that's awesome. It stuck with me forever. Yeah. So I don't know if, if opening this if opening this podcast, if you can go back, like right after the very first, he drops a beat in that song. I don't know if you can legally like put that in here or not, um, but that would be amazing to open this show. <laughs> Since I, I just, need to start my own beats, I just need to start writing my yeah, own beats. Exactly, for, for sure. Now I got it. Now I got it. Real. 
Yeah, my, oh, my no. son, my my oldest son f- thinks that's like a like a career path for him somehow. Like he he knows about these guys that make all this money because they magically had one beat go viral and somebody picked it up and paid him a ridiculous amount of money for it. And like what you didn't see is like how many hours this guy spent trying to perfect that and do this, do that. I mean, look, if you want to be Johnny Beatmaker, then go go do that. I'll support you. I want you to be the best you can be and I'll push you to do that. But yeah, that's not something you're going to dabble in. And I think that's the problem, man. You can't dabble in any of it. You got to sell out to whatever it is you're going to do. We got a lot of producers that aren't sold out yet. They're just sticking the toe in the water, waiting for the big one to hit, and they haven't they haven't done the cannonball into the deep end, and that's where you find them. So, Christian, while we're on the topic of niches, what are some of those niches you're working on? So, our firm, well, I got a new one and that that is very simple. I mean, it's like wheels on a suitcase. And if it pops everybody's going to be shaking their head and wondering why in the world didn't i think of that and once i get to half a million dollars in revenue i'll come on the show again if you have me back and share everything share everything that that i've learned but i was registering some domains and it made me think of scott howell and what is it insurancegranny.com Something like Scott that. and I have that in common. Yeah, Scott and I actually have that in common, man. If you ever were to log into my GoDaddy account, you would probably short circuit. I think I'm somewhere around 276 domains that I have at this point, which means I'm spending roughly $5,000 a year on domains to hold. It's like having that storage unit with all the crap you're never going to use anyhow, but you don't want to get rid of it. So you pay somebody a couple of hundred bucks a month to have a storage unit when it's just easier to throw the stuff away. <laughs> the domains are the same thing, man. We I have all these great ideas. And the first thing I do before I even flesh out the ideas, immediately go see if the domain's available and I go buy the domain around it. That is exactly what's what the likelihood, I did. What's the likelihood of one of those domains being skunk ache? Skunkape.com. <laughs> Skunkape.com, I believe, is already taken. <laughs> so has there's anybody, a lot of stuff around the skunk ape. Has anybody come and offered you like a, a million billion dollars for one of your domains, David? No one has ever come and offered me a single penny for any of my domains. <laughs> so and there's no way I'm ever so part of it has to do with the fact when I launched Florida Risk that I was gonna dominate the entire country in my mind, right? So I own every domain east of the Mississippi, uh, riskpartners.com. So I have like Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, Pennsylvania. I also have compquote.com. So I was gonna build a um, like Todd Tams has direct work comp. I was gonna build like a comp quoting engine and have it branded for every state that would just redirect back to a main a main area. But if somebody went in and was looking for workers' comp quote or work comp quote or whatever, I would rank and they would go to my page and put their information in. I've never paid a dime. I don't you know what I I think it just redirects to Florida Risk at this point, but um I had FL comp quote live for about a year and we wrote about thirty or forty policies on it and then I needed to do an overhaul based on how a WordPress update happened and one thing led to another and I never launched it again. So actually that's a great conversation. I probably need to get that live again, but yeah, I've got way too many domains. I appreciate you bringing that up, Christian, because this will be an episode that I'm sure my wife will listen to and think that, um, you know, now she can reach out and talk to you about all of the domains that I need to cancel. So (laughs) she's a big fan of constantly. She's like the Chinese water torture. She's got her set list of things that I'm too stubborn to fix. And 
Shocked her last night. I fixed the bench for the kitchen table right after I got home from work, and she knew that. She just knew in her mind that thing was going into the weekend, not fixed, and somebody sat and ate dinner on it last night. So Nice. It's <laughs> just how it is. Got some brownie points there. When, when do you yeah, think... I would, I'd like to know what I can redeem those for. When do you think... <laughs> when do you think that domain names... I, I think we're already going there, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the donate, domain names aren't quite as important as maybe they were a few years ago and now that it's more content because you can drive anybody to any domain right it could be acme insurance like people unless it's like really catchy do you need to have those domain names tied up or can you just drive the through seo drive the the traffic to your site regardless of what the domain is yeah so here's the thing I am not, I do not have a doctoral degree in SEO, but what I can tell you is anytime you have a redirect, um, it's supposed to hurt you, right? Mm. Because that domain is sending you somewhere else, but here's an anomaly. And I've not, I've not figured out why, but I was explaining to this to a guy yesterday, you know, we've got Florida wedding insurance that we use to sell wedding insurance in an effort to gain leads into our CRM and then market to people for personal lines. And we average two to three lines of coverage per wedding policy as we round those accounts out in our personal lines division. Um, and I spend about 150 bucks in for a year now, mind you, with COVID, when the cancellation insurance market changed due to having the not ha- not having a virus and pandemic exclusion on the policy, they pulled cancellation in Florida until they could get that exclusion approved in their new form filed with the state. So we just had an automatic email and an automatic text saying, "Hey, we're out of the wedding insurance business until we get forms we can write on." We'll reach back out to you as soon as the approved forms come through and let you know. But um, we would spend about 150 bucks a month, and we developed almost $100,000 or a little over $100,000 revenue stream for our agency just by the program administration fee of selling wedding insurance at 50 bucks a pop. Well, the thing is, I send people to FL for Florida, weddinginsurance.com, but then that's an immediate redirect back to a page on Florida Risk Partners that has, you know, been masked for all practical purposes. Like you won't find it unless you go through the landing page. It's hidden on the site. I was talking to this dude yesterday and I said, you know, the thing that's crazy is we rank number one on Google um, with that landing page in that redirect domain, which I don't understand how that's possible other than we just get so much traffic to it and people click on buttons or whatever that maybe that's what caused it to rank. And he sent me a thing last night, uh, sent me a Facebook message last night. And it's like, well, dude, you rank number one in Jersey too. So <laughs> he sent me a screenshot of FL wedding insurance when he typed in Flo- uh, wedding insurance, Florida or Florida wedding insurance that we ranked. So, you know, I, I don't know what the answer to that is. And the other problem that you run into is that the way Google is set up, they constantly have these releases that change their algorithm or change what they're putting the most emphasis on. And I know, for example, that the most recent one that came out has a heavy, heavy emphasis on load speed of the pages and everything on your site. So you have to be really careful when you're using video or images or things like that to make sure that you're using the compressed version with the least amount of memory and using, there's plugins if you have a WordPress site that make that video stuff easier so 
so it's not affecting your load speed. And Casey Nelson from Stackwise actually talked about that at Brainshare a little bit, and I don't remember what it is. We don't have a problem with load speed, so I, I, I didn't write it down, but I probably should have. But that's a big deal, man. I mean, you got to... You got to be in that position to where you, you're constantly able to be nimble and adjust, you know, and again, I don't think that as agency principals and producers, we need to concern ourselves with that. To me, that's a hobby. So I know about a lot of this stuff because it's things that interest me or things that I want to pay attention to. But I think that if you're in an agency and this is something you're trying to control, you're making a really catastrophic decision. You have no business doing that. There are people out there that are professionals. Are you going to call your SEO guy and ask him to write your homeowner's insurance? Probably not. So why are you screwing with SEO? Go to the people that are the best at what they do, pay them, and they will save you more money and make you more money than you will ever spend on them. That's like the old advice that they gave at the beginning of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, the book by Robert Kiyosaki. You know, hire the best attorneys and accountants. Even if you have to pay them more per hour, you're going to save way more money by using them than what you're going to if you go in and you look for the bargain person. And that doesn't mean that if you're a $200 accountant, you suck. But the fact is you're not as good as the guy or lady that's getting 500. That's just the facts. They've been in the business 30, 35 years. They're a master of their craft. Go pay them the money and let them do what they do. Don't argue with them about it. And I think that I've seen this too many times with the people that are that are agency principals that are my friends where they want to have their fingers in every piece and part of the operation. And it's like, they, they ask me, well, what do you know about this? What do you know about that? I'm like, I know I pay somebody to do that, right? I mean, you want to know how we're able to grow our agency? It's because I'm focused on one thing, sales, period, end of story. I'm focused on driving top line revenue. Why am I focused on that? Because that is what I'm the absolute best at in terms of my job. Going out and producing and closing business is what I'm really, really good at. Making sure that I handle invoicing for agency bill or I'm doing SEO or I'm doing any number of other things are so far down the list. Number one, I'm not even competent at half of those things. But number two, are they generating income for the agency? No. Then why am I focusing on it? Agreed. And I, I think that's where we, we lose focus. So we get caught up in this stuff. And I do. Look, I'm, I'm one of these people. I read a ton, an absolute ton. So I know a lot about a li- or a little about a lot, a lot of worthless knowledge. God, I was I, I qualified to be on Jeopardy years ago. And if they ever call me like it's going to be scary to see what actually happens. I can only hope that the final Jeopardy question is tobacco in the cigar making process, because after <laughs> I went to Nicaragua, I'm betting the farm on that one. So are you a self-proclaimed polymath? What's that? I said, are you a self-proclaimed polymath? A polymath. A poly. (laughs) Good thing that's not the Jeopardy question. (laughs) Yeah, what's a polymath? So a polymath is a person that knows a lot about a lot of different subjects. We've employed one. He's our network network specialist. That guy can carry on a conversation with anybody about anything. It is incredible. We just went through a renovation in one of our branch offices and he was in there talking to the contractor and the electrician. And I mean, I had no idea this, this kid, I say kid, he's like 27 or eight years old. He knows so much about so many different topics and that's what a polymath is. I don't know. Google can, okay. Google can check me, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. If words and definitions is a category, I'm just not even going to request anything from that unless I have to. <laughs> 
I'm actually pretty good at like looking at it. Like I could have probably figured that out because poly obviously means anything by looking at prefixes and root words. Like I could I could figure it out, but not when I got you know the Jeopardy host breathing down my neck and the timer music going mm -hmm. off and all of that. Like my all time. By the way, we'll get back in a minute. But my all time favorite anything and everything like is funny is the Saturday Night Live Jeopardy skits were when, when they had them with um, Will Ferrell and, and Norm MacDonald and all them. My absolute favorite reference to Jeopardy and mainstream TV was when Cliff Clavin was on there in Cheers. And like he just ran the table in double jeopardy. Like it was the questions were, or like the categories were the U S postal service celibacy living with your mother. Like all of like, it was so awesome. And he just, he like ran the whole board and they got to final jeopardy and Norm and Sam were sitting in the crowd. And, and the question was something like it, it was something he would have known nothing about. Right. And the, the answer was uh, three people's names th that were listed. And uh, Sam, you know, elbows Norm. He's like, he's got this thing in the bag unless he did something incredibly stupid like bet everything. <laughs> and, and he had bet the farm. And his answer to the – or his question to the answer was, who are three people who have never been in my kitchen? <laughs> <laughs> and he's arguing with the Jeopardy host. He's like, how can you tell me I'm wrong? There's no evidence that these people have ever been in my kitchen. Blah, 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 blah. It was so fantastic. <laughs> Who was the guy that played Sean Connery? And every every answer was something to do with Alex Trebek's mother. Uh, <laughs> yep. Dude. Oh, yeah. It's your mother, Trebek. <laughs> it was uh, Daryl Hammond. Oh, play right. him. And it was it was it wasn't just that right. It was also how he read. So yeah. like one of the categories was the pen is mightier. He goes, "I'll take penis mightier." <laughs> <laughs> or or he had the another swords. one. Yeah, he had another one. That, yeah, he had another one that was um, like bone appetite, and he's like, "I'll take ape tits for five hundred." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's fantastic i mean those were all funny i laughed so hard and then in final jeopardy he would always like manipulate his thing to draw a picture and it, as you scrolled down it said your mother or whatever it was so good <laughs> anyhow listen people if you don't know stuff like this how are you going to make your prospects laugh so you might think we're going down a rabbit hole that means nothing but at the end of the day i'll say it a hundred thousand times cfos listen to tommy boy and watch tommy boy too that's right this is it's so funny man Go ahead. We did this. Um, it's so hilarious. And and by the way, I'm going to preface this by saying I did not do this in an arrogant fashion. It was in a humorous fashion. But we were Kyle's been working on this account um, that he has for a little while. And we were working on getting the comp on board. It's a, st a pretty good size staffing company. And we never we don't really do a bunch of staffing. So it, it becomes a little bit of an issue um, to not have the rep the, the, the rep with the, the right markets. Thankfully I was in that business in that segment of the business for enough years that I still have contacts and I can get things done. But we were talking to the client and, um, going for the agent, a record letter. And he, um, he says, well, how, how do you know the carrier is even going to accept this from you? If, cause we were taking it from Gallagher and, um, he, he said, how, how, why he goes, I don't have a problem signing this, but why do you think that the carrier is going to let you take this from from Gallagher? And I said, well, you know, I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm kind of a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy is like just dead silence. I was like, 
He I said, wow, did I just flop? I said, did I just flop or, or are you an Anchorman fan and you're just still trying to process this? And he just busts out laughing. It was it was perfect. But yeah, I, I drop that all the time, man. I'll use Tommy Boy, Anchorman, any of that stuff, man. You got That's the thing. You have to be real. Mm-hmm. People don't want Ned Ryerson coming in to sell them life insurance. They don't want somebody, you know, not that there's anything wrong with wearing a suit and a starch white dress shirt and all of that. Lord knows I still do it. But you know, people don't want that. You can still be yourself regardless of what you're wearing. And I think that's part of what we have to do to shift the stigma. There's plenty of smart people that watch funny movies or no jokes or things like that. It doesn't have to be all business 100% of the time. And I think maybe, you know, if I look back over the course of my career at some of the things that have allowed me to, to win accounts that I otherwise might not win, I think that's part of the reason why is I don't care. Like I'm going to be myself. And if you are attracted to that, you're going to do business with me. And if you're not, you probably just did both of us a favor. So, you know, quit. That's why content marketing is so good. I could go write a a blog and do a video on workers comp and Derek can go do a blog and an article on workers comp and Christian can go do a blog and a a video on workers comp. And guess what? Not all people are going to like all three of those. They're going to have one that they like better than the rest. So cool. I'm good with that. If your yeah. content market the right way, you're only going to attract people who your voice resonates with. That makes it easier to sell to them. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it's going to be tougher if you do get their attention. It's going to be tougher to keep it if you don't connect. So I would completely agree. So listen, Hayden, I got a question for you. I mean, you have been just ridiculously consistent with your little short videos. I mean, that's how I originally first saw you. Right. Um, was on was was doing those videos on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And I know like I saw the one this morning and I know, I think it must just be your theme this week that you're dealing more with the 20 to 50 or 50, whatever it was self-funded. Yep. You know, how much fruit has that has that bore for you? So, I actually just had this conversation with one of the captives we do self-funding with. He's like, "Dude, it, look, it looks like you're all over the place." I was like, I just make it a point to schedule one every day and and go with it. But as far as writing business goes, it's more of a support mechanism for me um, because as I'm working on those accounts, which right now, Q4, we are in the heat of getting those submissions in and meeting with people. They ask the same questions, just like every other insurance-related question. They ask the same questions over and over and over. Well, well why, why should I consider this or how does this work? So I'm just answering the questions that I bring up in first meetings or, you know, meetings when I'm going for the close. So I'm just supporting everything that I've already talked to with the prospect Um, when they go on LinkedIn or YouTube or wherever it happens to be. My message is the same wherever I'm at. And I will I'll share those videos with them afterwards. So I wouldn't say I get business directly from LinkedIn or the videos, but the amount of support that they give me in discussing my message with them is ridiculous. And I I don't know why video does that for people, but oh, oh, that guy did a video on this topic. Man, he must know what he's talking about. Because it engages more than one sense. You're seeing it and you're hearing it. You're not just hearing it. I think that's one of the reasons. It's a lot more engaging. I would agree. I would agree. Christian, you guys are pretty like you've got a good sized agency, but you have some niches that you specifically focus on that makes you unique. Mm-hmm. Why don't you talk about that for a little bit? Because you're doing some crazy stuff with like school buses and public entity and all of that, right? 
Like right. I, I know right. that I just completely botched that, but no. I'm giving you the opportunity to eloquently flesh out what it is that you do, you know, with my crude example. So public entities and nonprofits have been a focus of ours since 1968. Uh, and we now insure uh, 347 fire and ambulance districts and 67 water and sewer districts, a couple hundred cities and counties, and then wow. tons of nonprofits, all the way down from little bitty nonprofits that could be a an HO, like a very small HOA. We also write very large HOAs that are nonprofits, but it could be your chamber of commerce. And we've just focused on that. And that division that we have, we've got seven people that are dedicated solely to nonprofits and public entities. And it really, uh, the operational efficiencies that come out of niches, I know we, we, we started on this topic like 10 minutes ago, and then shiny object happened, the syndrome happened. Um, but I'm glad we're getting back to it. It's, and, but they are difficult. I mean, the applications to go in and write a city or a county or a nonprofit you know, you're looking at 14 page applications per carrier. So if you're, if they're going out for bid and you're coming in to work on it, or if they're re, you're remarketing the account for them, I mean, you could be talking, I don't know, a hundred pages of applications that you have to fill out. We tried to leverage Indio to help streamline that process a bit. Are you guys familiar with Indio? Yes. I am, but wait until you hear my interview with Peter McDonald, the CEO of WonderWrite, that's coming out next week, and it's gonna make it's gonna blow your mind. Nice. They're a I competitor hope. of Indio and Broker really? Buddha, and it's a fantastic product at a much better, much better price point. And I really like the user interface of it too. If we get to a point where we end up writing more and more excess and surplus lines business. I will bring that into the agency in a heartbeat. Um, I don't really have a need for what they do right now because we don't have a ton of, we just don't have the same volume of actual accounts that a lot of agencies do because of our focus on the middle market. You know, mm -hmm. we might have 350 accounts in the entire agency. Mm -hmm. And so if you think about that across, you know, the number of people that we have, it's not like you have a ton of, of management work uh, on the service end of things to, to do that or even getting ready for the renewal. But, you know, I don't want to get down the the whole wonder right rabbit hole because this episode will actually be out after Peter's. But I would encourage anybody listening to this that maybe didn't listen to that to go back and listen to it because they have got a really, really cool InsureTech product. And I am a hundred percent believer in it based on what I've seen. And I did a full demo before I had him come on. Cool. Indio. Christian, we use Indio. We use Indio as well. And I, what you just said resonated with me. We, our local county here was a client for years and we lost them uh, probably six years ago or something like that. I can't remember what the date was. And one of our principals like, Hey, you ought to go back after the County. And I'm like, dude, I don't know if I want to spend that much time because it's going to be a quote process. You're not going to go in typically the way that they set it up to get a BOR and with who they're with, it's not going to happen anyway. And so Indio, is that solving a lot of those issues? How do you streamline that process? The idea behind it was that it was going to take a lot of the friction out of the application process, but they're pretty conservative on their mapping. So I found out, like, I, ideally, I go fill out one application and then it pre-populates everything and every other application. Not all right. the applications ask the same question the same way, which is unfortunate. Mm -hmm. So it really didn't map as intuitively as I would have hoped 
but it has helped streamline the process. And then it's all digital. Once I go through the, the hard work of doing it all, it's all digital. You know, updating applications is easier. You know, sending this stuff out. They've got some neat features where, and I, I was working on one this morning before we jumped on the podcast, where a law enforcement section, which those get pretty in depth about the training, the number of, you know, either whether it's sheriffs and deputies or police or whatever that might be for that entity, we can assign that section out to the individual, either the sheriff or the police chief, mm -hmm. and let them fill it out. And then it comes back, it automatically comes back and populates the application on my side. Well, you're familiar with that because you're using India. So it's right. There are some really nice features, but we have not fully capitalized on India just just because the mapping wasn't quite as intuitive as we had hoped. Well, great. Cool. Well, I, I have one quick question. I know we're going to wrap up not too far from now, but I, I once I figured out who uh, that I was going to be a, a guest host and who we're interviewing, I started to creep you a little bit, Christian. So I hope you don't mind that, but. Um, obviously uh -oh, look out, man, the freaking protege is coming for you now. <laughs> Guys, bring in the heat, man. So on your, your LinkedIn profile says, ask me how to control your work comp costs. So mm -hmm. you're leading with work comp. It sounds like mm -hmm. what are some tools and strategies you're using and how long have you led with work comp? We haven't led with work comp very long. I was okay. at 2019. And this is one of the things I wanted to bring up is that relationships are so important. Like never say no to a lunch opportunity. Never say no to anything that anybody ever invites you to because you never know who you're going to meet. In 2019 at the Keystone National Conference, we were sitting in a meeting and this is when I met Josh Gurley for the first time. And the, work, the discussion of work comp came up and I asked a question and Josh leans back and looks over at us and, and his Southern accent that is, you know, that dude's just got like charm in spades, leans back and says, y'all need to contact Preston Diamond at the National, help me out, David. It's the- it's The Work Comp Institute. Yes, the Work, work Comp, Comp Institute. And later on, I'm like, man, Preston Diamond, like that that guy, that, he must've made that name. Like he must've given him himself that name. That's like the best name ever, <laughs> Preston Diamond. Yeah, I, all I can think is Diamond Dallas Page. Like that's a wrestling name, yeah. Preston Diamond. Boom. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll be I, Derek, by the way, time out. I had two. So when I, when I launched my landscape company, I picked the name, but the two that didn't make it, and these are awesome names, I'm throwing them out there for anybody at all who wants to start a landscape company. One of them was Diamond Cutters, and we were <laughs> going to cut all yards in a crisscross diamond pattern mm -hmm. so that you had the diamond pattern in your grass. But every single house, when we got out, we were going to all get out of the truck and do the DDP right, right before we started the grass. <laughs> And the other one was a few good men lawn care. You want us on your lawn. You need us on your lawn. So there we go. <laughs> the only requirement for the diamond cutters would be if everybody had a, a blonde, greasy mullet to start mowing the yard. Dude, with. I ran into him. Like, you can't help but recognize that guy. I ran into him in the prime of his heyday in the Atlanta airport. Just That's incredible. Awesome. He is everything in person that you would expect him to be. Was that what? before or after he partnered with Carl Malone? Um, no, that was probably pre Carl Malone days. Okay. I had actually completely forgotten about that. <laughs> I quit watching wrestling probably in like the early nineties. It just got way too, way too. I, I liked it when it was so bad that you, you knew it was fake, but it was like so bad that you, it was like a train wreck. You just had to watch it. Right. Well, <laughs> I, I think Preston's got an awesome name. It is 
memorable. No one's ever going to forget it. But no, well, absolutely not. Preston's not the guy I've talked to. I've talked to Kevin Moore, who's the working or the walking work comp encyclopedia. That dude is a genius. Insane. So Insane. I started talking to them. I'm going through the CWCA. I haven't finished all the the portals yet, but we're we're working on that. And you know, getting in and learning how to like identify the minimum mod, and then you know, David taught me how to pull the snapshot. And looking at the mod worksheets and keeping things, you know, wondering why there's an open, a small open claim. And then just educating the client on these things. It's, they've got more control over their comp than they do wind and hail and anything else. And once they learn that, that they've got more control over the comp, I mean, it's, it's really eye-opening. And you can really uh, build a, deepen your relationship with that, with that client. So, yes, we're leading it with goes back to what. It- Go ahead, sorry. Yeah, it goes back to what I say all the time, you know, focus on the problems, not the products, right? And so with workers comp, you have the potential for a lot of problems. And those are problems that are relatively easy to solve in most cases. Um, You know, if you have low dollar indemnity claims, then there's a high likelihood you don't have return to work. I can tell you that with absolute certainty because I've been doing this long enough and seeing it on the loss runs that I know that if I can go in and talk to a company with low dollar indemnity claims to explain their return to work program, they're going to tell me they don't have one or they don't believe in it or whatever else, which is fine. That gives me the opportunity to educate them on why financially it makes sense. See, here's the problem. Here we go. Get warmed up. up. <laughs> yeah, but no. Here's the here's the problem with that. And Kevin Kevin Ring actually brought this up when he was on the podcast. You know, when most people get injured in a workers' comp claim, it's the first time mm-hmm. they've ever gone through that. They have they, they they don't know what to do. They get scared. They're worried about um you know if they have enough money to cover the deductible for their health insurance or whatever else. And so by not by the employer not educating those people properly, and the agent, quite frankly, not doing their job to educate the employer to educate their people, that's why they get attorneys and end up getting sued, right? So that's 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 the a massive massive issue there. But the other thing is, you know, I don't want to say a blanket statement, but most people who own something are competitive, right? You have to be. You have to have an edge. Like we were talking about this earlier. I was talking to an agency principal about a producer that that he has that's struggling. And this is a guy that played athletics at a high level, very high level. And he just said, he goes, this, he goes, I'm just concerned that maybe this guy doesn't have the edge or I'm like, it's there. You don't get to that level unless you have the edge. It's our job to find out what it's going to take to make that animal come out. We need that person. You know, we need the person with the edge to be out producing for you. And so, um, you know, I think that's a big piece of it, but because people are naturally competitive, Business owners oftentimes have a we versus them mentality instead of an us mentality, right? They don't, that that person that got injured probably didn't come to work that day wanting to get hurt. They didn't want to come have a negative financial impact on your organization, right? And at the same time, I would like to think you didn't want them to come to work and get hurt and you didn't want them to have a negative financial impact in your organization. So in its rawest form, you guys want the same things. 
So when somebody gets injured, your number one job is to take care of the single largest asset that your operation has. That's your people. The biggest resource any business has is the human resource. And you have to channel yourself and realize that I need to care about this. I want these people to get back. This is important to the culture of our company. And the longer that person stays out, the worse it's going to be for everybody involved. And even if your only motivation is to save money for your company, you still need to execute that flawlessly. You need to get in touch with that person. Most workers' comp claims are decided in the first 24 hours. Why? Because nobody acted like they cared. Nobody called that person to make sure they were doing okay the next day or went to the hospital if it was bad enough to personally, as the owner or the person in charge of that business, check on them and show them that they care. You know who's who's talking to them? The freaking ambulance chasers. The attorneys are the ones that are going to get there. That's why you've literally got 24 hours. And the longer that that uncertainty remains the greater the chances are that that's going to be a nasty claim you're going to get in you're going to get sued and end up in litigation and everything's crazy that's why when we bring a new account on board and we talk about this inside of keeping commercial what we do to onboard the claims process when i'm talking to people i talk about you know onboarding client experience it's not onboarding a new client like oh we got to get all the certificate holders uploaded into the system and you know get the policies into a three ring binder and send out that's not the onboarding i'm talking about i'm talking about you as the producer or the quarterback for that account at this point, and you need to coordinate every other thing that happens with that. And part of that is getting claims onboarded, the carrier portion and what you expect, but also what do you expect from your client in the event of a claim? Who do they call? Who's responsible for what? What type of accident or incident report's going to be done? Who's going to get pictures? What kind of pictures do you want? Who's going to get the witness statements? Who's going to be the one that's got the designated responsibility of following up with that injured employee within 24 hours to make sure that they know, hey, we care, we miss you, we want to get you back as quick as we can, what can we do for you? That's it. But you have, look, that's our job. We don't do that. Agencies don't do that. They think, oh, well, you got a claim. Go ahead and call it into the carrier. Make sure you got your first board injury. They'll be in touch with you in 24, 48 hours. Get your claim number. Everything will be fine. That's why mods go up, right? That's an insurance salesman. That's not a true producer and risk manager. And you have to know the difference between the two. And that little scenario right there that I just said, it's exactly why we can just walk into almost any account that's willing to give us an opportunity to listen and write it. Because it's not the insurance. Not one thing that I said in that entire little rant or whatever you want to call it, I never said insurance once. Rewind it and listen if you don't believe me, people. I've been doing this for 20 years. That's not what happens. And so it's a cultural thing more than it is anything else. And you have to make sure that the leadership is on board and they understand they're going to have to have a shift in their culture. High mod business is a human resources problem as much as it is anything else. And until you go in and you fix the culture in that company, you're never going to get the results you want. And that only starts when the CEO has buy-in. That's one of the reasons why I won't engage with a middle market account unless I have the CEO's ear. I'm going to meet with the CFO, but I need the CEO to come in and at least be in part of the, the either the first meeting or the closing meeting. But I will not write the account unless I've got complete buy-in from the CEO. We don't pencil whip safety policy statements at Florida Risk Partners, people. We put them in and we expect our clients to live by them. It is not some little, you know, catchy phrase that we put up and we send to an underwriter to show how serious we are. This is something we expect our clients to live by every day. 
I'm pretty sure there are three oh, solid. Th- oh, for sure. There are three things that every business owner deals with that are challenges. Work comp, health insurance, and HR. And, and all three of them work together. They do. They all they they work together. And mm-hmm. I know you guys have put together some resources. I've been leading with that type of discussion for the last couple of years before I met you. And now it's like you've really got the plan put together, David, through Mineral, Think HR, and, and everything else that you guys are doing. Uh, through Keystone, we've got uh, access to East Coast Risk Managers, and they've helped us through some work comp claims, helped us through some hiring firing issues. And it is tremendous when the client calls me and they are scared. And I can put somebody that I trust on the phone with them and walk them through the process. I mean, you're, you're building clients for life when you can do that. But the work comp is a pain point for every business owner, for the most part, unless it's like a small retail bop. Uh, health insurance, and then the HR piece, especially for, you know, under 50 or I don't know, at what level do you think they've got those, they've got on, on-site people, employees taking care of that? At 100 employees? Uh, you know, it just depends. It probably depends on, depends on the part of the country, I think, too. Yeah, I mean, I've seen HR, like, and I'm going to use air quotes here, HR people in like 50-person companies, but is that overkill? Yeah, probably is, you know. But there's that point of inflection, man. That might be, the other side of it is, that could be a business owner that understands I'm really going to push to get to 100 in the next year, and in order for me to do that, I can't be worried about HR. Let me just go ahead and make the investment in now and build the framework because when I get to 100, my people problems aren't going to diminish. Hmm. They're only going to get greater. So bring the resource in sooner than later. And I mean, from from our perspective, and I used this example in the podcast a few months back, I called an account that was a, a Marvin. I got to give Marvin his, his shout out on this podcast, but it was an account that he set up. It was a large middle market account, about a half million in revenue. I actually took the first appointment call from the conference room at Gallus Stewart up in Brunswick, Georgia, because I was there. They're in Killing Commercial. I was there working with Hurd and Hank. And I said, you know what, guys? You want to hear what I sound like on a new business appointment? Let's go. I'm going to put it on speaker right now. I'll take it right here from your conference room table. And you can hear that all the crap I talk about on the podcast is the same stuff that comes out of my mouth when I'm talking to a client. And it was a really good call because this lady answered the phone. This this lady answered the phone. She couldn't remember that she scheduled the appointment. Number one, and then number because this was before we went back with the reconfirm thing that we found out. This was early in Marvin's tenure. Um, and then she's like, oh, "I'm busy. You know, I've just got all this stuff going on." I was like, "It sounds like it. Tell me what's going on." And she's she starts like elaborating, and it turns out that this lady was new in her role in human resources. She had two owners that owned the company. Both of them couldn't agree on almost anything, so she was a mediator between the two of them half the time. One of them was progressive, one of them was old school, and she's like sitting here, like literally, I could hear the frustration in her voice. That's like. Like I think she was questioning, am I even going to be here in another year because this is that irritating? And I said, well, let, let's let's step. Look, stop. I'm not going to try and sell you anything. Let me put you at ease right now. This isn't even a sales call. This is fact-finding to see if it's something that you want to explore further and, quite frankly, something that I also want to explore further. Talk to me about what you're going through because it sounds like you need help. And she said, she just starts rattling all these things off. I said, well, let's start with the basics. Do you guys have a handbook. Do you have an employee handbook? She goes, yeah, we have one, but it hasn't been updated since like 1985. And I said, well, let me ask you this. And I said, again, I'm not selling you anything. I have resources and I want to help you make your transition into your role as smooth as possible. If I were to give you access to an HR platform at no cost to you, 
where you can create a new updated online handbook where you can record your OSHA 300 logs and determine whether or not incidents are reportable or not to OSHA, where you can create a learning management system to train your employees to, you know, to, to be safe. Would that be something that would be interesting to you? And she said, absolutely. And I said, good, then that's a done deal. I'll send you over an invite to where you can have access. It was Think HR at that time where you can have access to Think HR. And that was it, right? Well, fast forward. I'm going to write that account because she went in, she created her online handbook with Mineral and doesn't want to leave. Well, I'm sorry, but I can't transfer your handbook to your existing agent if you want to keep this stuff after, you know, I, I gave her three months and I told her, you know, in 90 days, I'm going to follow back up with you. This isn't free forever. This is just giving you a sample of what it's like to have our value proposition of what we do with our clients. So in three months, I called her back and I said, how's it going? Oh man, it's so much better. We've done this. We've done this. I said, have you gotten everything done that you wanted to? And she said, absolutely not. And I said, well, how can I help going forward? She said, how can I help you going forward? It was done. That was, that was a top 10 sports center moment at that point, you know, because I knew here's, here's how you can help me, ma'am. You can take this letter to the owner of the company and tell him that you want to continue to work with me and not the agency you've worked with for the last 15 years that's not doing any of this for you. And that way you can keep this HR platform that we've given you at no cost that would cost you another fifteen to $20,000 a year to have internally if you wanted to go out and buy it for yourself. And that, that's it, period. But knowing that you have those resources and the ability to deploy them at any given time it's huge. And that's what I tell that's what I tell producers. Look, you don't have to know how to use Think HR. You just need to know you have it. They'll help you figure out how to use it. But if you can go out and accurately represent what it does, and you can create that FOMO for the person who doesn't have something like that and they want to see it, what do you care if you give it to a prospect? It's not reserved for clients at Florida Risk. Why? Well, because I pay the same amount whether I give it to the prospect or not. I'd like to I'd like at least like to give it to a prospect so I have the ability to get some revenue back on it. If I don't let them have that and, and get a taste of it, I have a 0% chance of closing that account because I'm not doing anything to try and drive value. But if I can give them a tool that I have a fixed cost associated with and let them have access to it and then just put a time frame on it of, look, I'll let you have access to this for 90 days to see if you like it. In 90 days, I'm going to go back and I'm going to go for the jugular. That's smart. It's creative. Yeah, it's great. All right, so here's the deal, Delosier. We barely scratched the surface of your niches or anything. We're going to have to bring you back, so just plan on it. It's coming. We we'll do shop talks with you like we did with Sedlak. Shout out to Steven Sedlak. He's a work compologist, folks, and the author of the international best-selling book, The Work Comp Effect, available at Amazon, but I bet if you email him at ssedlak at schmale, S-C-H-M-A-L-E insurance.com, he can figure out how to get an autographed copy in your hands. Or hashtag off eyes. Yeah, yeah. Poster child for Smirnoff Ice, too, by the way. Classic. <laughs> Nothing but love. I well, love listen, you, guys. I'm... Yeah, yeah. Well, he knew it was coming. But time out. This is it, and then I'm going to wrap up because we are going longer than we normally do. But true story. Sedlak sends me a text before last Friday when Christian's supposed to be on, and he's like, look, let me tell you. He goes, I would pay money. If you let Christian come on the podcast and five minutes in, you just say, look, this isn't working for me. We're going to have to maybe try and do something different <laughs> and kill it. Right. Like he wanted me to hose Christian like that. So 
the way HubSpot works, and you know this, Derek, from booking on my calendar, it's a little bit cumbersome to get to an hour. It automatically defaults to 15 minutes. So mm-hmm. Christian booked the first time, and it was originally for us to record last week, and he only booked me for 15 minutes, and I thought he needed to talk about an account. It never clicked with me that it was the podcast and it was the HubSpot thing and all of that. So we get on. He's like, hey, where's the beard? Are we going to record or anything? I'm like, oh, crap. I said, you only booked me for 15 minutes, man. I didn't realize this was for the podcast. And I said, here's what we need to do. Listen, I said, we need to get off the podcast right now. I want you to call, you know, you call Sedlak or text him or whatever and say, look, I don't know what I did, but David stopped the podcast like between five and 10 minutes in, said maybe we would re-record, maybe we weren't, but said he wasn't feeling it. I'm actually a little bit concerned at this point that he doesn't want to be my friend and maybe is going to kick me out of Killing Commercial because something was weird. And so... He's working Sedlak, and as Christian's texting him, Steven's blowing up my cell phone with text messages saying, you really did it. I can't believe it. I feel horrible, man. What happened? So I wrote So I wrote back. So then I realized, I'm like, I got to close this loop because Gurley is going to somehow get involved because these guys talk to Josh too. So I sent Josh a text, and Josh wrote back and said, hey, man, you record with Delosier today? And I wrote back to him. I'm like, man, what a train wreck. I had the guy come on. We were on for five minutes. All he wanted to do was talk about Scott and Bradley, and I had to stop. I'm not going to have him come on and talk about these guys on my podcast. So finally, like two hours later, and Sedlak is messaging me, and he doesn't know that I'm reading it because I'm reading it off my home screen, so it's not registering as delivered and read on my iPhone. So after like two hours, I text Christian, I'm like, do we need to let these guys off the hook at this point? I could have kept it going all weekend, but quite frankly, didn't want to donate all of the time and attention necessary to to doing it. But man, we freaking nailed him. It was that was a, one of the, that was a great prank. Listening to you retell that story, I'm pretty sure I've got tear coming down the side of my face. I've been laughing so hard here in the background, trying to not interrupt. Uh, but but Christian, did we not orchestrate that perfectly? We freaking turned the tables on him. Absolutely perfectly. Uh, yeah, we turned the tables. You turned the tables. You, you're a mastermind behind that. That was that was brilliant. That's exactly what he needed. <laughs> and I did so. Yeah. And so what I did was when I when I came clean, I was like, I already understand there will be repercussions from this. I'm prepared for them. If you're if you're man enough to bring them at me, I'm prepared. But and then I sent him a picture of like one of those horses that was laughing with their teeth hanging out. Yeah. That's how that's how I broke the news. So anyhow, we're going to wrap up. Christian, thanks for coming on. Mr. Hayden, as always a pleasure. Thanks for coming on and, and co-hosting and, you know, filling in for Kyle today. I probably let you get about as many words in edgewise as I would him, but you came with questions and, and you were prepared. So I really appreciate you filling in, man. Happy to help. Thanks for having me. I've enjoyed yep, it. You gentlemen. guys have a great weekend, Christian. You, I'm not even going to give you any hints, but your artwork is going to be epic. It's oh, nice. I just Can't wait to paper. see it. Can't wait. All right, right, guys. guys. Have a great weekend. See you. See you guys. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com. 